This is a podcast by The Straits Times. Hi, welcome to Health Check, a podcast series by The Straits Times where we bring you tips on healthy living and help you make sense of stuff that can affect your health, from aging to diseases to the current pandemic. I'm your host, Joyce Teo. With November being Lung Cancer Awareness Month, we will talk about how lung cancer is the number one killer among cancers here in Singapore. This episode is brought to you by MSD. My guest today is Dr. Philip Ng, a senior consultant respiratory physician who has his own clinic, the Philip Ng Respiratory and Medical Clinic at the Mount Elizabeth Medical Centre. Dr. Ng has lectured in various countries, trained many doctors in the region and published numerous articles. Hi and welcome to the show, Dr. Ng. Hi Joyce, nice to meet you. Hi, so let's start with this topic. So why is lung cancer the number one killer among cancers here in Singapore when it is not the most common cancer here? You're absolutely right, it is the number one killer. But in terms of numbers, lung cancer is amongst the top three in both males and females. And this is all around the world too. Now, if you look at the top few types of cancer in Singapore and all over the world, example, breast cancer, colorectal cancer, most of this, example, breast cancer, you can feel a lump, okay? Colorectal cancer, they bleed. But with lung cancer and another cancer that's pancreatic cancer is deep inside you. So by the time patients present, they tend to be late. So lung cancer, about 70 to 80% of patients present late, usually stage 4 from the word go. I think all of us know that smoking is a key risk factor for lung cancer. But non-smokers can also get lung cancers, right? So why is this so and how common is this? In Asia, smoking probably contributes about 70% of lung cancers. We all know about smoking and the risk of lung cancer. But there's also secondhand smoking, which recently was in the news. There's one more concept that's not as popularly known. That's third-hand smoking. Now, third-hand smoking means that as you smoke, the cigarette smoke, which contains lots of carcinogens, interact with the environment, particularly furniture, bedding, curtains. And this lingers on for a long time and with time, this causes a toxic brew that stays for a very long time and can be carcinogenic in the long run. So the past couple of years, there's been research in this area. It again remains to be proven. Another cause for lung cancer, which is not as popularly known, is air pollution. In the year 2015 or so, WHO labelled air pollution as carcinogenic to the surprise of many, many people. Part of it is because of research in the past maybe under 10 years uh, that showed a very clear correlation between air pollution levels and lung cancer prevalence. Meaning, cities that have high level of air pollution, particularly PM2.5, have a higher rate of lung cancer than in cities that are less polluted. So this is something that's already proven in the past five years or so. How about in Singapore then? How big a risk factor is this air pollution here? Well, it's hard to tease up which factor causes what. But WHO standard for PM2.5 is about 10 average throughout the year. We are slightly above that for 2.5. If you look at the data from WHO, most cities in the world have not been able to reach that level at this point. Of course, everybody's working towards it. But the few cities that have already achieved that level of PM2.5 is most of them are very environmentally friendly countries like Australia, New Zealand, Switzerland. And of course, the other extremes would be cities like those in China, India, Iran, where air pollution levels are very, very high. And there's a very high rate of lung cancer. So we are just about on the cusp. 
Dr. Eng, so let's talk about lung cancer treatments. Over the years, you know, how has the treatment evolved? And can you talk about the different treatments available? Sure. As a principal lung cancer treatment, early treatment is surgery. And then subsequent to that, there's radiotherapy or chemotherapy. With regards to surgery, the techniques have evolved so much in the past, maybe 15 to 20 years. I remember when I was a young resident, one of the first principles my professors taught me was you need a big incision, a long, huge incision for adequate exposure. Today, the gold standard for lung cancer surgery is keyhole surgery, mean short incisions using cameras, quite like joystick kind of thing. No? So because of that, they get less pain, they go home faster. And of course, that is uh, partly because of better modern anesthesia. Then there's radiotherapy. Radiotherapy is reserved for those with either very bad lung function or those with very localized disease and cannot be operated. So in the past, it used to be external, being huge doses in the area. Today, we use something called stereotactic radiotherapy, which means it's very targeted using 3D reconstruction, using CT scans and MRIs to try to focus so you get less collateral damage. Then in terms of chemotherapy, chemotherapy drugs are probably safer nowadays with more understanding of adverse events from the chemotherapy. There's also the advent of immunotherapy, which has come on maybe about 3-5 years, and then targeted therapy, which has come on over the past 15 years or so. Targeted therapy is a form of oral treatment, which is quite different from the rest. So it's only in very selected patients who have certain genetic abnormalities. They are suitable for this form of treatment because they have these genetic abnormalities and the treatment is quite easy to take, you know, with actually quite tolerable side effects, mainly diarrhea and a bit of rash kind of thing. Then in terms of immunotherapy, again, side effects are much lower than conventional chemotherapies. Unfortunately, it's still injection form every three weeks or so. But the side effect profile is much better than chemotherapy. And with regards to immunotherapy, the other thing is that, again, like targeted therapy, only certain patients fit the bill, meaning you have to do tests of the tissues to find out whether they have certain abnormalities. That's sort of like a biomarker to help pick up patients who are suitable for this form of treatment. Can you take us through the options available to a patient who has late-stage lung cancer? Yeah, so if you have late-stage lung cancer, the first question is whether you have all the abnormalities on the tissue. So means we take the tissues obtained through biopsy, we send it for certain tests in the lab, take about a week, 10 days to come back, and then we pick out these abnormalities. If they have some of these abnormalities, an example is EGFR. This is quite a common genetic abnormality in Asian females, non-smokers. And then there are a couple of oral drugs, very suitable. Then there's a whole host of other genetic abnormalities that also probably in about 50% of patients are suitable for targeted therapy in some way or other. And then I mentioned something called PDL immunotherapy. That's suitable for patients with PDL1 abnormalities. And again, these patients will get immunotherapy. And then the last option, if all fails, that means they do not have any of these abnormalities, then the treatment will be conventional chemotherapy using a couple of drugs at one go. So that's a summary of treatment for late-stage cancer. If you like what you're hearing so far, please subscribe to the Health Chat Podcast for free on your favourite smartphone apps, Apple Podcasts, Spotify or Google Podcasts. Like us and give us a rating. And now back to our conversation on lung cancer awareness with Dr. Philip Eng, a respiratory physician practising at the Mouth Elizabeth Medical Centre. This episode is brought to you by MSD. These treatments that you mentioned, Dr. Ng, they're not cheap. I mean, do you have any advice on what these patients can do to finance their treatments? 
Well, regards to financing, uh, that's quite a complicated issue because as in all countries in the world are facing that same dilemma with better treatment, all this takes time, takes a lot of research funding to develop. So the costs are relatively prohibitive. So in Singapore, I think we all know we have the three M's, huh? MediSafe, MediShield, MediFund for the usual kind of patients. I think that there's also certain funding available from certain foundations. Singapore Cancer Society has some funding for patients too. And then I think the last category would be insurance. So I think my piece of advice to patients is make sure you have good insurance, good insurance coverage when you're young, when you're fit. Because the moment you have a diagnosis of a severe disease, example cancer, you find that most insurance companies would not be able to cover for you. And either that or the premiums are very prohibitive. So the principle is insurance must be bought early when you're young and fit. And of course, the principle of insurance is to try to pull together a huge population so that the risk is averaged out. And so basically, it's like a, a lot of people pull together their funds to try to fund that small group of patients who actually need it. But in insurance in Singapore, we have MediShield Life, right? It covers everybody. Yes. Is that not enough? So you're talking about like extra insurance? Yeah. So MediShield Life, there are various categories again. And there was also the rider, the uh, integrated shield plans and all that. All these are evolving with time. A lot of people are not really aware that actually some of the MediShield life has got certain classes, you know, there's a low, medium and in higher level, depends on what kind of coverage you want. And that there's also a yearly limit in terms of the daily limit and all these things. So you've really got to do your sums and do the research and read through the policies carefully with your insurance provider before signing up. But the principle is always, if you sign up, whatever, sign up early. I always advise patients or friends or relatives, do your sums early, you know, perhaps the day you graduate and or you, the day you start work, you know, the day you consider getting married, you should actually do your sums and look into your finances, not just your finances, but also insurance. Make sure you're well covered early. So Dr. Ng, what are the innovations in lung cancer treatments that people can look forward to? So Joyce, earlier we talked about the treatment, how lung cancer treatment has evolved, but we've got to targeted therapy, immunotherapy. There are newer and newer agents, even more focused, has better side effect profile. And many of these don't come cheap. And for example, targeted therapy, you're talking about 10,000 a month. Immunotherapy is about 15,000, a month. Another treatment that's up the horizon, really, I advise people to watch this space, is proton beam therapy. Proton beam therapy is a newer form of radiotherapy which uses protons instead of radiation x-rays. And what it does is protons are heavier, so they are very focused. And so as a result, the beam is very focused and there's less collateral damage. Uh, Singapore is scheduled to install the first proton beam therapy this year, 2020, but COVID has derailed all this stuff. And I, but I think it's going to come on in the next one to two years. There are a couple of centers in Asia has already started. Japan, Korea, China have already started a few of these centers. But nonetheless, all these are relatively newer, innovative, and as a result, are less available to most people, mainly because of cost. But I think with time, with more popular use, I think the prices would come down. Right. How much do they cost? Then? Proton beam therapy, for example, normal cost of radiotherapy is about 10000 15000 year. For uh, proton beam therapy, you're talking about 50000 kind of thing per course. Huh? So that's about five times conventional treatment. Right. And the other treatments that you mentioned, do people mm. need to do a few or, you know, if I do radiotherapy and that's the cost and that's it? So the reality is that many patients, for example, they are targeted therapy with 
treatment with time, the cancer cells mutate. And then after a couple of years, the cancer comes back and relapse. And so the usual treatments become ineffective. And then they have to cross over to another form of treatment. And one of common scenarios is we have targeted therapy for a couple of years. And then with time, they become resistant. And after a while, they are not sensitive to the usual targeted drugs. And then they have to go on conventional chemotherapy. So that's a reality in the long run. I see. So Dr. Ng, actually, so what's the best way to avoid getting lung cancer? I think the best way to avoid getting lung cancer is to stay healthy, reduce your risk. As we've talked about earlier, smoking is the number one risk factor for developing lung cancer. So, you know, simple thing, don't smoke. As not just lung cancer, but in all cancers, you know, reduce your risk factors, meaning eat well, don't stress, diet, exercise, don't smoke. If you smoke, try to quit as soon as possible. So if you really smoke a lot, the way to try to diagnose cancer early is to go for regular health checks. So when we talk about health checks for lung cancer, we always think of x-ray, doing x-ray. But maybe about seven to eight years ago, a very huge paper showed that CT scan using a low-dose technique on an annual basis is superior than chest x-rays in terms of picking up early lung cancer and reduce lung cancer deaths by easily 20%. So that's another thing to be aware of. So avoid so, the risk factors and go check up. How much does it cost? A CT scan is about $600 or so, or thereabout. The study that's well published is for high-risk people, meaning people who are 55 to 75 of age, people who have smoked 30 pack years, meaning one pack a day for 30 years, and they, have, of course, obviously haven't developed disease or have no symptoms. So this would be high-risk people. Or even if they have quit smoking, your risk of lung cancer takes about 13-15 years to drop to zero, to, to that like a normal person. So if you have quit recently, you should also go for screening. So this would be the ballpark type of patient to try to pick up lung cancer early. I see. That's very helpful information. Thanks, Dr. Eng. Thanks for helping us understand the risk factors and the treatment options for lung cancer. Thank you, Joyce. It's been my pleasure. Well, that's a wrap for Health Check, a podcast series by The Straits Times. We've been speaking with Dr. Philip Eng, a respiratory physician practicing at the Mouth Elizabeth Medical Center. This episode is brought to you by MSD. That was an SBH podcast by The Straits Times. Find us on Spotify, Apple or Google Podcasts or streaming on Google Home. Do feedback to us at podcast.sbh.com.sg. You can also check out more podcasts on various topics at The Straits Times and The Business Times online.